ready to be transformed. God, if we do not get transformed and we open your word, it, it cuts like a double-edged sword for us. Lord, if we are not impacted by your word, then God, I pray that you would give us eyes to look deeper and a hunger that is, is deeper, Lord. So we commit that to you in this night. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you guys ready for tonight? Man, that is a great way to start the night. Let me share a quick story with you guys. So this past weekend was our As One retreat, and oh my gosh, it was amazing. It, I'm not going to keep on beating that, that bush because I'll show the, the video again and some other videos. But it probably was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. And uh, I feel like I've been like a part of like Christianity for a long time. I've been to some really awesome events and, and places and seen God move, but there is nothing that compares to Sunday night. And so we were, were there praying and, and we're worshiping. And, and so, I mean, it was just, it was kind of like any other kind of church service, I guess. We, we call it chapel. And so the band is up there uh, uh, worshiping. And there's about, about 120 or so of us all together from about five different groups. And so we had like people from, you know, First Baptist, we had Lakeside, we had Sunrise Community, we had this Presbyterian group that was along there too, and, and then there's us, you know, and uh, so people kind of like, we bring our own big wheels from the first day, and people are just like, I don't get you guys, you know. We bring squid, and, and so we just have like this, this, people noticed us a lot. And so we're, 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 we're worshiping there, and I'll, I'll admit, like, the worship was, was pretty tame. Not because the music wasn't amazing, but because the hearts and the souls of people, were they're just kind of there, they're just kind of present. And there's, there's a difference between being present in God's area, in his, his room, versus having his presence. And so there was someone who, and I don't know if I can pick him out to bear some, but there was one person in here who had enough of being in the present and decided, I want the presence. And so during this song, all of a sudden I see this one person just kind of, you know, just do this. And then, then goes over and grabs somebody else, and then somebody else. And these are just epic people. We're kind of like in the middle. And one by one, all of a sudden, all of epic life starts like breaking out in dance. It was crazy. Crazy. And I've been like, my dancing life has been paralyzed from like the waist down for my entire life. I only can like do this up here, but like down here, we're, we're, we're dead, you know. There's none of that. And so we have a little video footage. I'm so glad that someone grabbed a flip. And, and so by the end of the night, by, by the end of that worship service, everybody in the room broke out into dancing over this worship song. Like the Presbyterian people were like, I don't know what's going on, you know. It was amazing. So we have a little clip of it, and the audio and the lighting's awful, but we have a little tiny glimpse just for proof because it was so unbelievable. If we have that, we, we'll tease it here. So they, they were going nuts. When we were all dancing, like the worship team just like came unglued. And you can't see it, but the entire room, the entire room, it's so dark, but it's just uh, this huge crowd. And that's all you see with the people in the front. Oh, it was crazy. So I get up there. So good. Oh man, that song went on. It must have been for 30 minutes. Everybody's like drenched in sweat, and I got my voice was so hoarse. We were yelling so loud, and I've never been a part of something like that where it just it took over. It was it was so powerful and amazing. And <laughs> preaching to the choir, it's a little easier. You guys are amazing. 
I love it because I get up there and I'm like, I'm Eric from Epic Life. And all of a sudden this like roar comes at me and I'm like, I love you guys. It's great. So everyone's like, what is with them? It's awesome. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We are at the end here. And I just got to thank Sean Lawrence here for uh, his teaching in this, a co-teaching and leading and inspiring. Really, this was, this was his revelation for this book for us. And so I'm excited for what God has next for us. So open that up and we're going to get there in just a second. Now just a, a quick overview. So we're talking about standing in the Lord. What it means to actually stand in Christ. And if you remember way back, I think maybe May is when we first started, uh, end of May, we're, we've gone through sit, which is our identity in Christ, knowing that we were predestined before the heavens and the earth and, and the water and the mountains, all that stuff was created, that God chose you and designed you for purpose, designed you to be redeemed, designed that you would be his just as, as you are, and that he didn't make any junk, he didn't do any of that. He's like, I chose you before you had any option before you're going to make a mistake, before any shame would come upon you, I chose you. And that we must first sit in that truth, that reality. So we, we, we talked about identity for several weeks and about how important it is that we have our identity centralized and focused in on Christ because the world is in a war with us to try and define who we are. And unless we define who we are by what Christ says we are, then we're going to have the default answer. And I don't like the default what the world gives us. I like what Jesus says about us. And so we talked about sit and that everything in the Christian walk begins from that place. And we talked about walk, which is our our growth and about how we need to be growing from a position of sitting. And finally, we we end at standing. You know, it's kind of like it's backwards. It's not like, you know, walk, stand, sit. You know, it's like it's completely backwards. It's like sit, walk, stand. And we, we need to know that, uh, that these are all three connected. So if you missed a couple of these nights, go on our website, download them. It's really important that we don't take this out of context. So this is the pinnacle. And, and this is all about our response to the adversary because we first come to our identity, to we know who we are, and then we begin to grow and we begin to feed that identity, and then we stand against the enemy. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about the enemy first. If you know about our, our kind of like theme verse... And we were called epic life, not lame life. And it was basically born out of John 10.10 10, that Jesus promised, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. I'm like, that's epic life. I like that. That'll be a verse. But if you've ever read that entire verse previously before he states that, he says that there is an enemy that's out there to try and steal, kill, and destroy. That's the precursor. I don't think it's any uh, coincidence that those two are, are together because I really believe that our lives are a matter of life and death. You either are having life and hope poured into you or you're having it stolen from you. Are you with me? That if we do not decide to live our life unified with Christ, finding him and seeking him and having that abundant life, we are slowly dying and we're slowly being stolen from. I get to meet a lot of different people in in work and uh, I was just with somebody yesterday and I was with this person and just the the, the bitterness and just the, the rotten core of just, just the, the insides, you just feel like this person's been stolen from their entire life and this is a product of what life has given them without Jesus. And we need to know that we, it's, it's really we're either swimming or sinking. It's, it's not one of the, the in-betweens. 1 Peter 5.8 says this. It says, Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So as we talk about the enemy, we, we must 
be conscious that he is out there to steal our joy. He's to be the antithesis of what Jesus promises. And if we don't fight for that, we're going to lose it. But there's a, a nice little detail that we must hold on to the fact that there's a dividing line where we have consequences around decisions. That isn't the enemy. I don't know if you've ever been like, you know, late for somewhere and like you maybe overslept by 30 minutes and then you jump on the 405 and there's traffic and you're like, Jesus, why are the demons after me? You know, like, <laughs> like demons are, I mean, well, maybe Satan invented the 405. I don't know. I, I, I could go there. But, but, you know, if you're late and there's traffic, it's not because Satan is after you. You know, Satan didn't make your car break down because you never changed the oil in 10 years, you know? Stupid should hurt. And I, I firmly believe that... I firmly believe that, that a lot of us sometimes are oversaved. You know what oversaved means? It's like this hangnail. I cast you hangnail out of my... You know, like we're, we're, we're totally giving the enemy too much credit. You guys are like, yeah, I've done that. Stupid should hurt. I'll give you a perfect example. So I'm from uh, Portland, Oregon. There's no hoot and hollering. Perfect. That's how it's been all my life. Um, and uh, so I'll admit, I've been a guy who's always tried to skate kind of like the rules. If I can kind of get away with something for a little bit, I'll always do it. And so in Oregon, you can register your car for like $30 for like 80 years. It's like ridiculously cheap. And down here, it's like thousands of dollars. And so when I brought my truck down here to college, I was like, I can either pay like $1,000 and register in California, or I can just not register at all. That's a good idea. So I went four years with an unregistered truck. And I'm like, I'm the smartest guy ever. I even, I even had like a license plate cover. It's still on. And it's, uh, it, it kind of covers the tags. And uh, about three years ago, we're driving. We're at uh, Connor Manning. Some of you guys know him. We're at, at his, uh, I think it was like his going away party or something. And so we're driving back from Elk Grove. It's like 11 p.m. And I'm going. And there's a, a, a cop on the side. We pass by. And all of a sudden, the cop like speeds out from the side and is like following me like three lanes over. So I, like, I get over like the next lane. And I'm like perfectly at the speed limit, you know flies behind me, pulls me over. I am so busted. I don't, I don't even have a prayer to begin. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a painful fine. So I'm just like, oh, here it is. Well, I'm like calculating. It's like, okay, you know, I saved all this money, and so now I'm going to get a ticket. And so he's like, all right. So he writes me up a ticket. He's like, okay, so I need you to get out. Like, what? He's like, yeah, your car is going to car jail tonight. And Camille's here, and I get my truck impounded, towed. We're dumped on the side of the road at like midnight, and, I, and like I don't even have a prayer. Like I can't even like look at Camille, and I just I just feel it, you know. I'm just like I know, I know. Now, if I would have been like like Jesus, like why is Satan after me? Like no, like I I deserved everything that came to me. I deserved the the cold drive home with our friend back to it. I, des- I deserved the painful fine that I had at the police station. I deserved the nine hours of the DMV to get my truck back in my own possession. Like, that's not the enemy. So we need to be very clear that we don't give Satan too much credit where he doesn't belong. You know, like, it's like, why are we giving Satan so much credit when actually, that's not his doing. It's the consequences of my own decisions. 
Another example would be like if you have a hangover. If you just got plastered last night and you are totally hungover, don't ask someone to pray for your headache. It's called a spanking. It's like your brain is trying to get out of your skull and that is what you have to live with. I'm sorry, but no one's going to lay hands on you and ask God to remove it. It's supposed to be like that. We have to know where our stupidity ends and the enemy begins, all right? So, about demons and the enemy. And I need you guys to really focus on this because I, I believe that the Lord has given us some revelation here that's really critical to, to our, our faith. Um, it said in Revelation uh, 12, 3, 9, it, it says that a third of the angels fell and became demons. So, we know that there's essentially a finite number of demons that have been sent here to, to rule with Satan. And this is serious stuff. So, but the key point here is that there is a finite number. It's not unlimited. You don't have every demon's attention in the world. There's a finite number for the 7 billion people on earth. Uh, Alfonso de Spina, in 1467, he estimated, based on a bunch of other biblical verses and passages, and you can look it up, that he estimated that essentially there's, uh, of a third fell, that there's about 133 million demons or so. And so he takes a couple... Uh, verses about the, uh, the numbers of legions and things like that. And so he kind of deduces. I don't know if that's right, but I'm just going to toss it out there. But we do know that there's a finite number. So if, if there's a finite number, everyone listen here. If there's a finite number of demons, there must be a strategy. If there's a finite number of demons, 133 million, let's just say, and there's 7 billion people, there must be a rhyme and a reason and a process and a strategy for how they work on this earth. Amen. So how on earth does this work? And I'm going to suggest three, three ways in which demons enter our realm. The first thing is, is they go after people who are a threat to their darkness and their reign. That demons are going to specifically align themselves and make uh, certain people held down who are a threat to light. Are you with me? So if you are rooted and you are growing in your faith and you have the truth, if you are sitting with Christ, if you have your identity and you feel the onslaught, the fight for your life, the fight for your soul, that is a demon. That is the, the demonic oppression going after you to try and steal your joy. Because the enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. You cannot steal something that someone does not have. Are you with me? If you have the light of the world, if you have the light of the king, then there's going to be someone who's going to try and steal that light. So if you are a threat to his goodness, to his light, if you're a threat to his reign, you have to know that it's just going to be part of the gig. Now, I've never been the top percentile of anything in my life, but my math shows me that if 133 million demons are out there and there's 7 billion people, I'm in the two percentile, which is kind of cool. Are you like, yeah, I've never been the top tier of anything. So Paul says, in all circumstances, consider it joy. Consider a joy that, that the enemy would find you worthy, would find you threatening enough to come after you, to try and, and trick you. When we got a flat tire on our, our trip, um, it was like just past Arco Arena a little bit. We're out there, we're like high five, and this is awesome, you know. We were having such a great time. We, we could have been like, oh, you know, we could have been all bummed, but we weren't. We're like, no, we're going to consider everything joy. And so, so Satan will allocate the resources which are a threat to him. Number two is that there's a way that 133 million demons, let's say, can keep 7 billion people oppressed. Is that they use shame and condemnation 
against our generation. They'll use shame and condemnation. Why? Because you get someone in shame and condemnation and now the person can move on. They've essentially gotten themselves into a revolving door that will never end. You keep someone in shame and condemnation, you can take their eyes off them and they can go on to other people. Are you with me? That shame and condemnation are the strongholds that demons leave behind in our world. Let me tell you what a stronghold is. A stronghold is not an act of attack by the enemy or by a demon. A stronghold is the remnant, what there is left. It's the skid mark across your face of what a demon did in your life. If, if you got tempted, if you went into a place, if you, if you gave your body, if, if you... If you did all these different things, you have a remnant, you have a residue, if you will, are you with me, with what an enemy attack did to you, and now they can move on as long as they keep you in shame. So when we pray against strongholds, we're not actually addressing demons, we're just addressing the baggage that was left behind. And so our key, until we can actually liberate ourselves from strongholds, liberate ourselves from from the, the anvils that are tied around our ankles is what it essentially is. Until we do that, we can't get free. And so when we feel that there's oppression, when we feel like there are anvils, there's like our, our feet are in cement and we're, we're trying to do our Christian life, sometime we need to address what the enemy left behind. Are you with me? And, and that can come in all sorts of, of phases and shapes. And one of them was tonight is that we, when, when we speak impossibility and we speak unwanted and we speak all these things over us and we, we let it come over us, we are allowing the enemy to heap shame and condemnation. We're just adding bricks to the pile. And so as we have a prophetic declaration over ourselves in this generation, what we're doing is we're unlocking the locks to those, those weights. Do you notice that Jesus, one of the amazing things well before that uh, Peter was going to betray him, he says, Peter, you are a rock and I'm going to build my church upon you. And that was a prophetic declaration. Peter's like, sweet, awesome. He said that knowing exactly what would happen in his relationship with Peter. He also then later said, Peter, the enemy is requested to sift you like wheat, but when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And Peter's like, I don't know what on earth you're talking about. I'll never leave you. Are you with me that we need to speak our destiny into our lives? We need to speak of who we are and we need to counter what the enemy is trying to heap on us. And the third is that the enemy and demons will test for signs of weakness for a later attack. That the enemy will test for a later attack. Camille and I just got back from Hawaii and uh, we were in Kauai, which is where they filmed Jurassic Park. I wanted to like go to like run around like the you know sugarcane fields like you know doing things like that you know, I can't make the raptor noise but you know if you've seen that movie like you can hear it right it's like oh it sounds so cool so we we went and we rented Jurassic Park, and we watched it it is the best movie ever you guys like need to like get that movie and watch it over again it's like forty years old now I think it's horrible, but there's an, an amazing little clip in there, have you guys all seen that you know. Like, do you remember the part where, like, the, the local guy, and he, he talks about the raptors and how they test the fences. And they never hit the same spot twice, but they test it to find a weakness. Are you with me? That, that the enemy is going to test you and try and poke and prod and try and find, is there a weakness in this fence somewhere? And they're going to come back and they're going to find a later attack when you are primed and ready for it. It's an evil, evil truth, but I need you guys to, to shake your head and be like, I'm hearing this. All right, awesome. Take heed lest you fall. Take heed lest you fall. To know that when we are maybe not in a position where we feel the onslaught, we don't, we don't feel that the fight 
of our faith that we get pride and we're like, I'm totally great. And the enemy can come and take your legs out from under you because he's been slowly testing. The greatest temptation is not going to come from a thousand paper cuts. It's going to come from the right time at the right moment in the right place because they've been observing. So if you're a threat to the enemy's reign, if you're you know, purveying light, and if, if you're, you're in a position where you are getting free from the shame and the, and the enemies have to come back at you, you need to know that there is going to be testing of your faith. There's going to be testing of your soul and your willingness to fight. Amen? All right. So now, let's get into Ephesians. <laughs> I keep on popping this thing. I'm sorry. So uh, Ephesians 6, and we're going to start at verse 10. We're just going to go to verse 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand. Everyone say stand. Stand Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. Everyone say full. full. That you may be able to resist. Everyone say resist. resist. In the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. The first thing we need to understand about this, this passage, and it's, it's very kind of war metaphor-esque, is we need to understand the nature of the warfare that we fight. Now that we know how the enemy and, and demons work, we have to understand the nature of the warfare. Did you notice it didn't say go and invade territory? Did you notice it didn't say go and take from the enemy? It said resist, it said stand. Doesn't sound like very action-oriented, does it? Why is that? Because the victory has already been won for us on the cross. What were the last words that Jesus said on the, on the cross? He says, it's finished. And when he said that, the, the, the veil in the, the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle, was split. It was like this, you know, four-foot-deep goat hair and all sorts of things, and it, it tore from end to end, symbolizing that God the Eternal would come and dwell into our hearts and live and be unified in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, we are God's temple. He lives here. Christ is here. And so when we look at uh, the nature of the warfare, it's not saying go in advance and go and conquer. It's saying stand and resist. The Greek, the Greek word there literally means to hold your ground. To stand implies that the ground that we are on is not the enemy's ground. When it says to stand, it means that we're staying on the, the, the property of Christ, what he won for us. We must simply resist and hold firm. Jesus had the offensive warfare. Ours is defensive. Jesus had the offensive so we could be the defensive. All that we need to do is we need to hold the ground and keep it. Whereas in offense, I am fighting for ground to obtain it. We just need to preserve what Christ has already won for us. Because when his blood shed for us on the cross, we inherited everything. Do you know the Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ? Isn't that crazy? That we are co-heirs of Christ. And so that we have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, we need to preserve that which has already been won for us, that has been already secured and so Satan is the one who must do the counter-attacking against us. Satan is the one that has everything to gain, and he has nothing to lose. Have you ever seen a fight where a guy has nothing to lose? It's crazy. They'll, just, they'll do anything. Someone who has nothing to lose will go to no ends to win. And the person who has everything has everything to lose. Do you have something to lose in your life right now? 
Are you, are you protecting something that God gave you? Did God speak uh, a purpose and identity into your life and you are barely holding on? Has it been under attack? If you are an instrument for his light, it better be under attack. Not because that's what we want, but because we want to be significant in the kingdom. Did you know that it's, it's impossible to protect that which you have zero value for? Did you catch me? It's impossible to protect that which you have zero value for. I have to ask a really important question. Do you value your life? I'm not trying to be overdramatic. Do you really, in your heart, do you think my life is worth the price that Jesus paid on the cross? If Jesus says, I only can die for one person, do you believe that your life is valuable enough for him to shed his blood just for you? That is the level in which we need to come with value for. If we're not there, we need to get there. We need to be in his word. We need to read what he says about us and who we are. Because if we don't have that value, then we're always going to be hearing the opposition about how we're no good, how we're a mistake, how we're not going to amount to anything. And so if we have zero value in ourselves, our identity, in our bodies, our lives, our relationships, we have no value for that, we will have no ability to fight to protect it. Are you with me? I had the, the deal of a century on Craigslist, I bought a scooter and sidecar. Cheesy, I know. Some of you guys have seen it. I think we have a photo of it. And I got this thing for like $300. And it's like this old scooter. And it has a little uh, attachment on the side. And I made like a doggy seatbelt. I put a little harness in there. And I made like the most amazing little contraption with this like scooter. Maybe we don't have a photo of it. It's awesome. You can go on my Facebook I have pulled up to coffee shops and had guys come out and be like, I will pay you five grand for that right now. I'm like, no way. You, you could not pay me enough money for this thing. It's ridiculous, I know. But it's, it's so valuable to me because I know it's so unique. And so I, I want to protect it. I'm like out there like, you know, it doesn't run right. So like I put a lot of effort into it. I am sadly discouraged by how little effort we go into protecting ourselves because it shows that we really don't value ourselves. Do we really behave and do we show that we are children of the king? You know, don't you get like annoyed by how like, <laughs> there it is. Seriously, isn't that awesome? I mean, the, the goggles are like, it's awesome. I'm still trying to get Camille like warmed up to like that the baby can sit where the dog is, but that's, that's not happening yet. But, but think of it this way. If, if you had a diamond ring, like an expensive diamond ring, and you went downtown and put it like in the middle of K Street, and you're just like, turn your back. It'll be gone like four seconds. You will lose what you do not protect. You will lose what you do not protect, and you'll lose what you do not fight for. I'm pleading with you to find the value of the blood that Christ shed for you, to esteem value upon you, and to fight for your own protection. And to hold on to it, and, and hold on to the strength that he promises for us, because we're, we're, when we refuse to do that, we begin to play by the rules of the enemy. Why are we letting the enemy define the rules? And he's defining the rules by all these things that, like, you know, we have to invade, we have to respond to this. When, when God's saying, I've already won, all you need to do is protect what I've given you. And the first is we need to understand the nature, we need to understand the value of us, and we need to respond in that regard and not play by his rules. 
Now, we need to understand where will he attack? Where will he attack? And this is where we get into the armor. So if you have your Bible still with me, continue to verse 14. We're going to go to verse 20. So stand firm, therefore. Again, remember, stand. Having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and repetition, pray all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. What a powerful way to end there. This has nothing to do with the message, but that I would speak how I ought to speak. Isn't that a powerful truth? That we would live our lives how we ought to live. That we would recognize our value as we ought to recognize it. I think it's such a powerful truth there. But this armor, what this does is this gives us a holy and righteous blueprint for all the different areas that the enemy and his dominion and, and his demons want to come after us with. So the first thing is the belt of truth. And I'm going to give you a, a couple metaphors for, for why these are important. So the belt of truth. These are just not like just general, so we got to figure out, you know, a bunch of uh, armor that a soldier wears and just, you know, put it in there for, for general sake. I'm going to argue that each one of these pieces of the armor is critical for us to understanding the attack plan of the enemy. The first is the belt of truth. It says, gird your loins. You know, like, your loins? You are like, fruit of my loins, you know? It's like... You know, the wedding tackle, it's like, you know, like the, it's like, you know, reproduction. You guys are like, I don't know if it's okay to laugh. (laughs) It sounds awkward. This isn't supposed to be in a message. Gird your loins. The the belt of truth is to protect your loins. All right, you can be uncomfortable with it. Now, what does that mean? What on earth has that have anything to do with? With the enemy's schemes, it has everything to do about Jesus' command in Matthew 28, 19. It says, go and make disciples of all nations. There's a reproduction commandment that we have upon our lives. That we would multiply Christ's followers. And so when it says, gird your loins, the belt of truth, it's protecting reproduction, not of our earthly man, but it is of the spiritual man that we'd replicate in the lives of those around us. Amen? That we would protect the fact that the enemy wants to keep us and never replicate Christ in anybody else. If the enemy and his dominion and his demons can keep us from reproducing disciples, then they will win. And they will keep the gospel stifled. And so the first thing we need to know is that we have a divine commandment to make disciples. It doesn't matter if you've known Jesus for four and a half seconds right now, which would be really cool. But you are perfectly qualified to teach the gospel to anybody else. I don't care if you are unsaved, what you experience right here, what you experience in your heart, you have something to teach somebody else and be an example for. We need to, as a generation, I spoke on this this weekend, we need to stop telling people about Jesus. Like, no one's going to come across me like, I've never heard of that guy. Wow, no way, huh? Like, no one one in America is going to, like, be that surprised. Like, you have a Jesus action figure. Really? You know, anyways... 
I'm just going to just leave it at that. No one needs to hear about the man. You're not going to be like, yeah, there's a man who like glowing white complexion with a beard and a sheep, you know, and came with all these little children, you know. Like no one needs to know about that. But here's what they do need to know. They need to know what Jesus thinks about them. It's not a one-size-fits-all message. It is a holy encounter with God. What are you speaking to me about this person? And when we come into alignment, when we come into union with Jesus, when we find his word and we, we see him and we hear the soft, still voice of his spirit, he's going to give us detailed information about individuals. It's not going to be, Jesus loves you. Isn't that a surprise? Like there's bumper stickers everywhere about that. No, what that looks like is that when we come and we have God highlight someone for us, we can go up there and be like, Jesus says that he loves your music. Wouldn't that be crazy? If you're like this, this musician who's been told his entire life that your music is terrible and you've been wandering and you've been wondering like, where's God? And someone comes up to you and they can give you such specific detail about your life based on what God says. I've, I've witnessed it so many times. It is a powerful thing. It's important that we don't lose sight that God is not a one-size-fits-all message. He wants to speak to us and to this world. In Hebrews, it says that God used to speak through prophets and to speak to his heel. But now, because of Jesus, he speaks directly to us. Is God speaking to you? If he's not, we got something wrong. We need to be in a mindset that we should expect that God is going to give us some powerful revelation. I love what, what RJ did in, in coming up and just, you know, exhorting that God wanted to be a little bit closer. That's awesome. I want more of that. Next is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. What is it really protecting? Is it, it's protecting your heart. Isn't the, the wage, the, the, the battle that we wage together, isn't it the battle for our hearts? Isn't it the battle of the attention of our hearts? Whether it's a career, a relationship, a person, a thing, money, it doesn't matter. Like the, the world is waging war to try and win allegiance of our hearts. And where our heart goes, so will our soul. Are you with me? That where we sell our heart to is that there we'll find our soul with it as well. And Jesus says, I cannot have anything else. I have to have all of your heart. Now, how on earth do we look at a breastplate of righteousness? Sean encouraged me with this, and he says that our righteousness in Christ is what covers our heart. That when we protect ourselves, we value ourselves, we protect ourselves, we, we don't engage in the things that are going to wage war against our bodies and our minds and our hearts. When we do that, when we protect ourselves, we're protecting our heart from being sold out. We have a generation that whores out its heart to anything for significance. And it's because people don't know that Jesus wants significance in our place of our life. We need to stop saying that I need to find significance in a sorority, in business, in friends, and family, and in all those places. And we need to say that God has significance in an audience of one. Next is the feet fitted for readiness with the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace, this is what we stand upon. The shoes. The shoes is what we stand upon, and we stand upon the gospel. And what is the gospel? That, that Christ died for us. It says John 17, 3, that this is eternal life, that he would know us and we would know him, his son. It's an intimate no. And that his victory is what we stand upon. We stand upon that, that Christ defeated the enemy and that is what our sure foundation is. That's why we're talking about stand. We're not advancing. That is what we have. It's a powerful illustration that, that we don't move when we're talking about our position in Christ. We stand on the victory that it is. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to strive for it. We don't have to do any of that stuff. We just simply need to recall it and say that is where it is. 
And whenever the enemy tries to tell us who we are, we should just remind him of where he's going. We can look in the back. We can tell you, like, this doesn't work out too well for you, Satan. Sorry about that. We need to stand upon the power of the truth that the victory has been won for us. The other thing I like about the fact that the shoes are readied for peace is that we have a personal decision that we can play in our own righteousness. We are not subject of the consequences of the world. We have power to, I believe, to choose our own destiny, but also to get ourselves out of dodge. We should know that as the enemy tries to attack the different fence points, if you will, that we can just decide to go to different property. We don't have to sit around and be tempted if we don't want to be. So make the decisions in our life to protect ourselves. If we're protecting ourselves, I know I can't go see that kind of movie. I know I can't go to that kind of party. I know I can't go and be with those kinds of people. The shoes of peace of the gospel say that Christ gave you victory to make your decision to move you to where you'll be safe. We better use the shoes well. Next is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation and it's protecting our mind. I think the root of this is protecting that we know that we are saved. The saddest thing I can hear, and I hear it a lot, is people who are trying to wonder if they really are saved. We need to study and know what God says about us through his word and to know that when we are in Christ, we cannot lose our salvation. His heart is going to break for us. It's, it's going to long for us. But when we, we, we really become one, and it's, it's, it's using the, the marital analogy that two flesh become one when we become one and have union that God says they will never be able to snatch them out of my hands. It doesn't say you'll never be able to screw up your life because we all know we can. But he's like, they will never be able to be snatched from my hands. And so knowing that you are, are secure, that though you may wander, that God is ready to come back and restore everything that was taken from you. And he also wants to know that your identity is a son and a daughter and we need to hold on, to, we need to protect that. And that is what the helmet of salvation is. As we protect that knowledge, we protect our mind. The world is trying to confuse our mind. The world is trying to, to counter everything that we have about our mind. And Christ is saying, protect it. We need to have the, the kind of knowledge where, you know, the, no one questions the sky is blue, right? I'm colorblind, so maybe I could be convinced otherwise. But no one probably in this room can be convinced the sky is blue. You're just like, well, that's a stupid thing if you say it's green. We need to have the same response when it comes to the enemy trying to tell us that we're no good. We have the same response when he tries to tell us that you're illegitimate, that you're not really saved. We need to respond like, you can say the sky is green if you want, but the sky I know is blue. The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Bible. You notice that in here, this is the only offensive weapon. The breastplate, the belt, the shoes, the helmet, the sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive weapon that is listed here. And we're not advancing. Remember, we're standing. And so you look at and Jesus when he was tempted. How did the enemy tempt him? Do you guys remember? He used the word against Jesus. If we don't know the word, then we are victim to having the word used against us. Are you with me? If we don't know what the word says and know what all of it says in context, we can't be in a position where we have verses that scare us that we can't look into. We got to believe that, God, you are righteous. There might be difficult verses. There might be things that are hard to understand. But, God, you will give us revelation on your truth because your truth is your character and your character is unwavering. And so we find that we, we look at the sword of the Spirit. It's our only offensive weapon. 
We're going to talk about the shield of faith in here in a second. But if, if you're standing and I'm decked out in the armor and I have a shield and a sword and someone is like raining down, like, where, where's Matt? Oh, there's Matt. He, uh, he brought some weapons here tonight. Oh, can you bring that up here real quick? Is it in here? Oh, this is so cool. Sorry, pause for a moment of awesomeness. If, if, you're, if you are waging a battle against Satan and you are, are, are standing there and all you have is a shield and someone's just raining down on you, you've seen like enough gladiator of the movie, right? You know that it's not going to work. You know it's not going to be enough just to, to sit there and hold something as someone rains down. Eventually that's going to get worn through. Go ahead and bring it up. Look at this. This is so gnarly. This guy makes this stuff. All the guys are like, oh, I want one. This is a perfect night. I am not strong enough to hold both. <laughs> this, this is so crazy. Right? How would you want to be leveled by something like this? It weighs like a trillion pounds. I was going to hit something, but I won't. Um, so, we're in defense, right? And you have this raining down. And a shield will, will protect you enough. But at some point in time, you need to take a swing back. At some point, you need to do something about it and, like, knock it off. And that's what it is. And our weapon, our, our single weapon for being on offense in a defensive stance because we're just protecting is the word. And so when Jesus was tempted by the enemy, he used the word back to defeat the enemy. And so many times we look at strongholds, we look at the lies of the enemy, and we only need to open up the word and respond with a sword. We only need to respond with what God already has said. And the last is the shield of faith. Actually, before I go into that, it is possible to fall on your sword. It is possible for us to take the Bible out of context, to, to cherry-pick a couple of verses, to, to read it out of, of certain places and let it ruin our faith. It's totally possible to fall on the sword. And we can never let, and I refuse in this group to let this be an object that hurts us. This is a contract with the eternal God. This is the promise. This is the hope of our generation. This is eternal life in here. A love letter to you and I. This is not something that is made for condemnation, for shame, and for guilt. God will never bring you to his heart using shame or guilt. So if you read this and you're like, God hates me, you are cherry-picking something, you're reading out of context, and you need to come and get relieved of that because God is here to redeem us. The shield of faith. Again, the, the shield is a defensive tactic, and by that, faith is great. That seems to be something that all of us have. Out of all these things, we think about all the things that we can can uh, categorize the, the helmet of salvation, all the, the belt and the, the shoes. We all gravitate towards the shield of faith because it's the most uh, simple and elemental property that we have. Are you with me? That we, we say it's like, I just need to have more faith. And we think we can will more faith. But that is not enough. We need, to, we need to not be an army that only has shields and are naked otherwise. So the, the shield is a great defensive weapon, but it cannot be in isolation. We need to have the sword. We need to have the helmet. We need to have the breastplate. We need to have the belt. We need to have all of it to fully stand against the enemy's attacks. And as the band comes up, I just want to give you guys just a, a couple last thoughts. 
I, first off, I love what God's doing in here. Do you? So good. Oh my gosh, it's late. What happened? We're just going to, I think we're just going to sing one song. The anthem, oh, I love that song. And um, what I want to do is as, as we sing this, um, I'm going to have Eric come up. And I just want us all to stand as well. And we're just going to sing this, but as, as he's singing, I just want him uh, just to, to speak to some of the strongholds of our generation. And as, as they're proclaimed, if that's you, it's important that, that we make a personal response in our heart. It's important that, that we don't become the people, and I, I know these people who come constantly and they ask for prayer for the same thing over and over and over again. And there's an agreement that comes into strongholds where the enemy and a demon has had his way and is gone. And we're holding on to a stronghold. And without delivering a defeating blow to the stronghold, we keep ourselves always hoping that God would deliver us. And he's saying, I've given you the power. You simply need to deliver the blow and break it. And so as we praise this, this uh, and sing this song, Eric's just going to pray over some of those things and, and just be real in your heart for a moment. And sometimes there's strongholds that we don't even understand or know that we have, but as they are read and as they are mentioned, if that is you, make a conscious decide decision in your heart and just say, Jesus, I break that. I break the spirit of abandonment. I break the spirit of, of insecurity. Like all these things, like they are strongholds that is, is a remnant of what something has happened and is keeping you down. So Father God, as we just close here tonight, we thank you, Jesus, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have had such an amazing time in Ephesians and your truth. And we just pray right now, Lord, that you just would do, do work in our hearts. God, we pray that there just would be surgery done in the eternal realms that you would just liberate us, God, for your heart. So as we lift our voices, Lord, we pray that every competing alternative to you, Lord, would just be silenced. And Lord, again, we stand on the victory that you've already won. God, it's foolish for us to ask for victory. God, we stand on victory. So give us new insight. Give us new power, Jesus. And we take all authority right now. And these proclamations and these declarations over our group, we take authority over what the enemy has taken from us and has fooled us into believing. And we take it back. And we're going to start something different tonight, too. You know, we've, we've been really easy in the past. Eric will preach his heart out. And we used to go over and stand on the sides. You know, if anybody wanted to come up for prayer, and nobody ever did. But if we're going to go to a different level, we're going to have to go to a different level of honesty. And we're going to have to learn to repent before our brothers and our sisters. We're going to have to learn to stand up and go, yeah, that's me. God set me free from a very powerful sex addiction. And it did not come until I was willing to go to the front. I went to the front. I mean, they would have altar call for alcoholism. I'd go for that. I didn't even drink. They'd have a call for cigarettes. I'd go for that. And I didn't smoke. Because after a while, I didn't care. I just wanted to be free. If you want to be free, God has freedom for you. But it will never happen until you're willing just to call it what it is and not care what anybody thinks. Because in this house, there are so many of us who have come from such brokenness to such wholeness. We're never going to judge you. And 
God loves you. So as I just, as I'm not going to just say things that come to my mind. I'm going to kind of shut off my analysis, my soul, and I'm just going to pray whatever God gives me. And I'm going to say it fast enough that you're going to be able to come up. And maybe people won't know exactly what it is, but if people know, it doesn't matter. Because when you begin to know that you're a son and you're a daughter and your daddy God does not care what your past is or where your wounds are, he only has arms to put around you. You'll become a force. So while Aaron and the band play, I'm just going to start speaking strongholds. If I speak to you, come up. If you're a leader and I speak to you, come up because the people who follow us will never walk in freedom until we are man or woman enough to come up and it applies to us so so I'm just going to speak strongholds I speak lust I speak performance I speak looking for approval I speak hopelessness. I speak despair. I speak victim, martyr, anger, intellectualism, analysis, gossip, overeating. I speak religion. self-righteousness atheistic Christianity I speak to the stronghold that always looks for, for position athletics video games and technology Fear, a cowardly hiding out from intimacy. And let me just explain what that is. When God started setting me free from my sex addiction, I started. Uh, shaking when there was a powerful anointing and I started yelling sometimes and the yelling was like when you read a book and you highlight it for the part that really matters the Holy Spirit started doing that and I really hated it because it embarrassed me because people thought I was stupid um, and I took it to God and God said all your life you've looked like you had it together and you were trash on the inside and now I'm putting you together and you look like the village idiot and you can't have both, so which will it be? That's why I'm telling you tonight. That's why I said, please come forward. 
because until you're willing to look like the idiot, you'll never be free. And when it doesn't matter anymore and it matters less and less, you'll never look like an idiot in God's eyes nor in the eyes of his people. So I'm just going to pray. Let me explain to you. We, we break these things in the spirit realm. But then you have to train your soul. It's not like I have a magic wand and so I pray this sweet little prayer and all of a sudden everything is different. But when I pray this prayer, I promise you, and I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, it breaks things in the spirit realm. Then it's your job to get to know the Lord and to let him change our heart. So Father, tonight we just, I bring all these precious people to you, Lord. All these sons and daughters, or if they don't know you, soon to be sons and daughters. And God, I just lift them up to you because I know how much you love them. I break the power of these strongholds. I break that power tonight in the name of Jesus. Whatever you walked up here tonight for, or two, or three, or five, or seven things that you're here for tonight, I break the power of all of that in your spirit realm. And I pray the Father's blessing over you. Of hope where there has been despair. Of freedom where there has been bondage. I pray identity as a son or a daughter where you have been an orphan. I pray strength where there has been weakness. I pray clarity where there has been confusion. And more than anything else, I pray that you find a way into the arm your better God, God, who loves you all of his heart. There is nothing you do to change that love, love. Bible Bible that come to him and become a son or daughter that are the perfect in his sight. And people don't understand that, but in God's sight, God is perfect. And then he comes unto you as you reach your own train, your own mind, fill in the middle of oceans. He comes around around you and his arms around you. And there's their time. And they're always, always able to like a like a little bit of the Right through the rest of laugh, go, wow, wow. Daddy God, God. I know, I know, I see my guys in things, but I think I think I'm proud, proud, you know, like I said, you're like your little kid, kid, I feel broken, broken, and when I sit there, there, you listen, listen, God has so many sweet, tender, gentle, redeeming, restoring things that he wants to say to you, to you. So I speak the Father's blessing, of just hope, hope. I also speak just a, an unveiling of his heart for you. I break the, the power of confusion. And in, in its place, I just speak the precious, nurturing comfort of the Holy Spirit. That you may learn to hear that voice and know how deeply you're loved. So we embrace you tonight as fathers over this house speak to you of the love of your Father God. In Jesus' name. Amen.